Hebrews chapter 3, beginning verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Anybody here ever felt just tired and worn out? Need a rest? Did you know this passage in the Scripture is the prescription for rest? Did you know that? Now, I want to share with you something that, that is going to maybe surprise you and be one of those things where you want to think about it and challenge it. That's okay. I did for a long time before I finally surrendered to it. And that's this. That God's ways work. They work very well. God knows what He's doing. He knew what He was doing when He created you in your mother's womb. He knew His plans for you, to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. Plans is what we've been talking about for over a year in the messages uh, here. That God has hope for you and a plan. But it's His ways that make it happen, not our own, not yours. You understand? This is very simple to understand that God knows what He's doing. He created all this place and He knows how to do it very good. We know how to make a mess of stuff. And if we know what God wants for us, then we try to make it happen. It doesn't work right. So God doesn't always tell us too far in advance what He's trying to do. And so that's a good thing, not a bad thing. But a lot of folks want to say, but I don't know what God wants for me. God wants you to follow Him. Learn of Him. And we're going to... In future weeks, we're going to talk about how to stay connected, plugged into that so you can follow God faithfully. Um, and I'm really excited about being able to share that with you. But here, here's what it says. In the days when the Israelites were first out of Egypt, they hardened their heart against God's ways. His ways. The way He does things. And God said that they tested Him and tried Him for 40 years. And he said, I swear they will never rest because they don't trust my ways. Do you think God would all of a sudden, it's okay not to trust me? And bless you for not trusting him? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, it even says in this same passage that I read, don't let an evil heart of unbelief in you arise and depart from the living God. Rather, 
follow God's ways is what the Hebrew writer is trying to say. So if you see in your life a lot of unrest, you try to work and work and never get caught up so you never can rest, it could be that you're not in God's ways in those things. I'm not telling you you are, but you could be because a lot of unrest in our lives is because we don't trust God. I'm going to explain that a little bit about how God has an odd way of seeing things. Jesus kind of explained it in the Gospels when He's teaching us. He says like this, the first shall be last. And the last shall be first. Well, in our world, in our society, it's the first who are first and the last who are last. And it doesn't make sense to us when Jesus says that. So Jesus wants us to wrestle with what He means to understand it from His perspective. Sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. I'm not going to explain that one at this point, but I want you to know that Jesus has a few others. He says if you want to be the greatest, become the least. But in our world, if you, the greatest has the most, not the least. doesn't add up, does it? It's not the kind of thinking that this world wants us to believe. What about this one? He says, do you want to lead? Then serve. You want to be the master? Become the servant. But I want to be over people. Then serve them. No, no, you don't understand. I want to run things. Then serve them. This world says if you run the company, you don't serve the people. You run the company. You're the big cheese. You're the head honcho. The dog that everybody wants to chase and be the big dog someday. But Jesus says you want to be the big dog in the kingdom of heaven, you become the servant of all. The greater you serve, the greater your position in the kingdom. It doesn't match up with this world at all. Then he says this, and this is one that I had to wrestle with a long time ago. And, and time to time again, I, I have to wrestle with it again because this is something we don't understand. Jesus says, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. You will find it. And we kind of scratch our heads. Well, if I if I don't have my life, then how am I going to have a life that, that I have? Whereas if I preserve my life, then I'm going to have my life still. This is how we think. I've got to survive. But Jesus isn't talking about survival. Please understand, spiritual math has spiritual principles behind it. And God has a deeper way of looking at things than face value. There are a lot of things we don't understand. When I was a kid in school, here's a good example. I learned this last night, or relearned it. In school, I thought matter had three different forms. Gas, solid, or liquid. And as I was staring at a campfire last night, I saw flames and I said, well, those aren't a gas. They're not a solid. They're not a liquid. They're something else. What would we call that? I can't grab it and hold it and show you a flame because once it burns, burns, it's gone. So, is it light? Is it heat? It's something that's not solid, liquid, or gas. There is no definition for it. What about an electrical current? That's not a liquid, solid, or gas. It's something else. What about gravity? All of a sudden, the stuff they taught us in school that made it seem simple, everything, liquid, solid, or gas, doesn't work. Because water is never electric, water is never a plane, and water is never gravity. So it can't have those properties and be water. 
So you see, there's some other things that we don't understand just by looking at it, that there's another property that's available when you look at things in this world. When you see things face value, it's, I've got to survive, I've got to provide, I've got to take care of the next generation. But there's also a part in us that says, there has to be more. God says there's more. There's a spiritual side to this. We can't see the spiritual side of things. Just like you cannot see electricity. You cannot see gravity. You cannot see the magnetic forces on things that are magnetic either. But they exist. They're invisible to us. So I began thinking about that. I want you to understand that there's a deeper aspect that God's calling us to. And guess what? God understands all this stuff. He knows how our genetic code works and what part of each billions and billions of different DNA in our chain make what happen to make other things happen that match with what somebody else would do later on. And He's putting this all together ahead of time and knows how it's all going to fit. I, I don't think like that. That's spiritual genius. Genius, as a matter of fact, would be uh, selling God short. It's perfection. And we don't understand perfection because we live broken lives in a world that's broken. And God says there's so much better than this waiting for you. And we settle sometimes because we don't understand spiritual math. But I'm going to explain it to you this morning. I'll give you an insight, first of all. A few months ago, Kathy got a check in the mail for her, uh, uh, what do you call it, school, to help pay for school and books and supplies. And uh, she was trying to figure out how to spend it, and I'm pretty good with numbers. So she asked me to come help her. And she says, This is how much I got. This is what I got to do with this. This is what I got to do with this and, and this. And I said, Okay, so what number are you starting with? And she told me, and I said, Okay, so knock off the end digit, move the decimal place over one so you know what 10% is. That goes to God. And she goes, what? I said, 10%. God gets first. And, and she said, what do you mean? I don't have enough money for that. You ever thought like that? I don't have enough money to give God 10% first. Anybody ever thought that way? I used to think that way for years. My wife was on me for most of our marriage until a few years ago when we began to be faithful and not the 10% off the top. Not the what's left over 10%. And we started doing that. But until that time, we struggled financially. And here's what's funny. Same amount of money we went through. I don't know how that happened. And all of a sudden, we were having an abundance of the same stuff. I, I, I can't do that math, all right? It's the same pie, but all of a sudden, it goes further. It feeds more people. Do you understand what I'm saying? God has a way of taking what we give Him and making it bigger. In Isaiah, God talks about this. And I hope you hear what Isaiah says here in chapter 55. It begins at verse 1. I got it on the screen for you. And and I'm going to kind of go through this like a piece at a time. Because it's really good. And if you've never really broke down this chapter, I invite you to spend some time with it. 
It's one of those chapters where spiritual math is so present. He starts out by saying, Yo, everybody who thirsts comes to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Now, before we go any further with that, how can those who have no money buy things? What are they going to pay with? Do you understand? This is how we think. I have no money. I can't buy it. He does not say steal it. Borrow it. He says come buy and eat. He says come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Um, How do I pay for something that's free? Do you understand how we think? God's saying, I'm providing this to you. Come and buy it. All He's saying is, let's make the exchange. But you have to ask for it. I'll tell you it's free, and you give me nothing, and I'll give you what you want. Therefore, you bought it for the price it was set at. You paid nothing, but that was the cost. That's not how this world works. You buy two, get one free. Buy one, get one half off, which means our first pair is about 50% too high. Exactly. It's usually what that means to me anyway. But God says, come and buy it, but don't have to pay for it. And that's spiritual math beginnings, but He doesn't stop there. He says, why do you spend money for what isn't bread? And wages for what does not satisfy. It's the next verse. Wait a minute. It says, money, bread. Colonial, bread. Wonder, bread. Or best value, whatever, great value, whatever brand you purchase. If it's in a loaf, it says it's bread. And we spend money to buy that loaf. But here, God is asking, why are you spending money for what isn't bread? It says it's bread. But is it bread? Or is it just something to eat to satisfy your body? Is God talking about spiritual bread or physical bread here? We're always talking and looking at things physically on face value. We're solid, liquid, and gas type of people. We're not into the spiritual side we can't see. But he says, buy bread that isn't physical. Use your money for something that is spiritual first. Well, that's weird. God says, listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Oh, you know, I eat well. Mm. That isn't what he said though, is it? He said, eat what's good. What is good is the Word of God is good. Eat it and digest it. Let it become a part of who you are. And let your soul delight itself in a lot of steak and potato. Oh, abundance. (laughs) Gee, I thought God was going to say I could eat steak and potatoes. You know, that would be a really nice, nice... That would be eating good. No. That's eating well according to the world's standards. 
but it's temporary. You're going to be hungry for it again. The living water, which never runs dry, is what you need to thirst and eat and drink of. The one that is in abundance inside of you. But we're so caught up in trying to make our bodies happy that we miss our hearts. So he says, Incline your ear and come to me here and you'll live, and I will make a covenant with you everlasting, the sure mercies of David. Now I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 6, which states, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. And here's how you buy this stuff. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. Come back to God's way. He will have mercy on you who do that. And come back to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon for what? For what we didn't do in verses 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying, My ways you do not understand. You do not think like I think. My ways and thoughts are much different. You haven't been taught these. You can only learn them from God by the revealing of the Holy Spirit and the Word of Jesus Christ. And so he continues to explain what he's talking about. And and he does that throughout the rest of the chapter saying that the rain does what it's supposed to do because I told it to. It waters the ground, it comes back to the sky, waters the ground, feeds its all, comes back to the sky, and cleanses itself in this whole process to feed us. God's ways are better. He knows what He's doing. When God formed you in the womb, He knew who you could be. He had a plan and a desire for you, and He knew what He wanted to do. He was excited the day you were born. He was pleased with His creation. And He said, this is my child. I hope my child learns one day their status with me. In Psalm 139, it talks about this. It says, You knew all the days of my life before there was even one of them. You crafted me in my mother's womb. You knitted me together. You planned out my life. Now here's what I hear a lot of people say when they hear that God has plans for them if you'll surrender. They say this, Well, I'll lose my identity if I give my life to God. I'm going to be a different person. I'm not going to want to change uh, like that. I'm not going to be me anymore. I've heard all these excuses for why they don't want God to do what God does. So they want to do things their way. There's a scripture that also tells us there is a way that seemeth right to a man. But then there is the ways of death. Our ways produce death. God's ways produce life. It's a promise. Unfailing from Scripture. Choose God and live. It's exactly what God instructed the Israelites through Moses and Deuteronomy. Choose life. Choose God. His ways. That you will prosper and live long. And generation after you will do the same. Now I say all this because the spiritual math that we're talking about is very difficult 
So when I had that conversation with Katya, she says, but I won't, I, I, I won't have enough. And I said, look at your life so far. You said a few months ago that you wanted to please God and follow Him in everything you do. The tithe is part of that. It's not something that's optional if you want to do things God's way. You can argue with God. We all have. We don't want to do it God's way because it doesn't make sense. But God says, try me. See if I won't open the storehouses of heaven unto you. Well, I'd rather have the storehouses of heaven than the stuff I'm working for. <laughs> I promise. See, he's got a lot more. Scripture says, my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And that's just trying to say that God's abundance doesn't end. Here's how we think. There's a piece of pie, there's so much in it, and there will not be enough more to go around in that piece of pie. So, I'll take as much as I can of that pie, and everybody else has to fend for that piece of pie of God's blessing. But God's blessings are without measure. He doesn't say, oh, that's all. That's enough. There's enough of God's blessings in, what do you want to say, prosperity, if you will, or His provision for all. In abundance to all, says our Scripture. He will give you pressed down, running over, so you have more than you need. God does that so you can give it away. And the more you serve others, the more God's going to replenish so you can continue to do that work. God delights in a cheerful giver. He does. And a servant after God's heart will say, how can I serve God? Bless me that I may bless others. And God, I'm going to bless them anyway, so you help me bless more. <laughs> I heard someone once say, and this was, this was so telling, they asked some people what they would do if they won the lottery. First thing I do, most of them says, buy a house or pay off my debt or um, pay some, buy my mom a car or things like that. Or provide my children's education. All good things, not bad. And then, then there was this one kid, little boy, was asked that question. He said, "Well, I wouldn't know what to do with that kind of money. I'd give it to my pastor and ask him to put it to use and, and show me." I want to see what God can do with that kind of money. And I said, well, wait a minute. Isn't He going to keep a little bit for Himself? And He says, I don't know what to do with money. I'm just a kid. I'd rather have someone do something with it for God. But we don't think like that. We think it's ours. We own it. Therefore, we can do what we want with it. But all that belongs to God already. He just wants to see if we'll trust Him to provide more when we give away what we have. But that doesn't make any sense. If I give it away, I won't have anything. But God says, yes, you will. I'll provide. Oh, God, but you, you don't do that. You see, I don't have it now. <laughs> <laughs> and God says, because you're still keeping it instead of giving it. And it just doesn't add up in our minds. And that's why spiritual math is so hard. And so when, when I was having this conversation with Katya and uh, we were talking about it, she got mad. Maybe it's because I was being direct, not compromising. Well, I'll give what's left over. You know, <laughs> something, I'll put a little, 
How am I going to... And she was frustrated because she couldn't pay her bills. That was the problem. Didn't have enough. And so I said, this is what it is. And she says, I, I just can't deal with you. <laughs> and, and, and so I left. Next day she calls me back into her room. She says, hey, Pops. That's what she calls me. Pops, come here. She says, okay. I've been praying about it. So show me how to tithe and what to do with the rest. I could have cried. Because I had explained to her the day before how difficult it was for us to learn this lesson. I didn't want it to be hard for her. But we have financial difficulty when we don't give what God asks us first. I don't know how that works. It's not mine to understand. It's God's way. And it works. It doesn't make sense to me mathematically to have less off, to have less at the beginning instead of more and still have more at the end than I started with than I did before when I didn't have anything off the top. If that makes sense to you? In other words, if I have less to start with but I have more at the end, then when I had more to start with, I had nothing at the end. I don't know how that works. But God does that. It's spiritual math. You see, God plus, it's like this, one plus one, and God makes three. I don't know how it works. But God says, I restore to you everything that you give. Plus a, plus a what do you call it? I restore it to you. I can't remember the dynamic, but I think He said seven times as much as what you give. And, and, and I, I don't understand how He does that, but it has never failed. We've never had to say, okay God, are we going to pay the electric or the tithe this month? We've not had to do that, ever. And I'm not talking to you about tithing. Understand, I'm talking about a mindset that says that this doesn't make sense. God's ways aren't supposed to make sense to us. They're supposed to be something we trust. And, and it, I'm not saying I was good at this. As a matter of fact, when I was in college, my dad said, give of your abundance. And I went, what's that mean? He said, if you have any old left over, give 10% of that. And I said, okay. And then he said, no, that's not what I mean. He said, give of your increase. And I said, what does that mean? He said, okay, whatever you have right now, that's God's gift to you. So from here on, whatever is increased, give 10% of that. And I said, after the uh, bills are paid or before? He said, that's on you and God, but He asked us to do it first. And then I asked this question, on the gross or the net? <laughs> I'm a numbers guy. That means before or after taxes amount. I know people who go down to the penny on the before taxes. Some people do it on the take-home. I don't know about you, but that's a little confusing to me and I don't want to go there. It's not about tithe. It's about how God uses His blessings to increase the work of His kingdom if we'll trust Him by what He says. And so when Katya asked me that, I said, God, maybe she'll get it before I do. Maybe she'll have a better life because she wants to please you in all aspects of her life. But if whatever part of our lives we don't trust God with, whether it's our, our trust level of intimacy, or um, our, our career, or our time, we're going to have unrest in those areas. It's not fair. It's just what God said. If you don't trust me and give me mine in this area... There's going to be no rest for you. That's why I asked you, do you have rest? 
in your life. Areas where you're being obedient, God gives you rest. If you said, I'm going to start reading the Bible and praying, and all of a sudden you say, have a peace about that, you don't have unrest anymore. God has entered you into rest there. Not that you stop doing it, but you no longer have the turmoil inside that says, am I doing the right thing for God? It's interesting to see the change in ourselves, in yourself, when you put those things back into God's care. Because all of a sudden, you don't worry about it. And there's peace inside. And you trust God for everything. I did not say that this is something that necessarily makes sense, but Jesus Christ again says, it's in Matthew 16, I got it for you, that says, if anyone desires to come after me, then let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The next verse. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Mm-hmm. And saving it means i got to do all these things to survive. And I'm not saying be stupid and, and, and not responsible. But desire to save it in the sense of that I'm going to do this because if I follow God, it's not going to work. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? So what if you've lost your soul? How are you going to get it back? What are you going to give for it? If you've got all the world's riches, but not your soul, is someone going to accept that in exchange? Whoever gave you the world for your soul got the better deal. I will say that. Your soul is worth more than the whole world. And it's worth more than a whole world to God. I know this. Because the most precious thing God had was His Son. And He gave His Son's life for your soul. The world wasn't enough. But His Son's life did the trick. It did the job. So here's the thing. And I'll explain this in a, in a very practical way for you. There was a commissioned work many centuries ago. They wanted something to be carved to memorialize a brand new structure that was being built. It would be glorious. And I gave this block of, uh, I think it was granite, to a sculptor. He looked at it and he, and he tried and he couldn't do anything with it. And they called a man named Michelangelo. And he looked at it and he said, I see King David as a boy in that block. You heard this story before? He began to sculpt and carve and chisel until the most celebrated sculpture, David, was done and presented. And they said, how did you do that? And here's what he said. I saw David in the block. I just removed what wasn't him. Imagine you when you're born. You're this block and your identity is I'm this block. And God's wanting to say, but I got so much more from you. I'm going to try to remove stuff that doesn't fit. The way you think is you fit in this box like this in this block and this is you. And God says, I I need to do some sculpting. I need to do some subtraction. That's spiritual math. 
spiritual subtraction is going to chisel the parts away that aren't really what you were created to be. It's the way you think sometimes. Like Romans 12 says, transforming our mind. Becoming new people. To be a living sacrifice means you let God do the work. And so, God does this subtraction from our lives of the negative stuff that doesn't line up with what God created us to be. And sometimes it hurts because we hold on really tightly to stuff. And our, and our, uh, sometimes we're caught up in an addictive cycle or we get attached to something and God's saying, I need you to let go of that. And we're saying, God, that hurts. He said, but I'm doing subtraction on you. This is actually a good thing. Trust me. Trust me. Trust my hands as they chisel out and carve you and mold you to release you to the world that I made you to be. But we never can do that if we don't trust Him. And trust that He knows how to do the work. But God knows you. He really does. He has an odd way of seeing things about you that you don't see. But He made you the way He wanted to. And He wants you to see the finished work in this lifetime. And He wants to continue to work on you. The unrest comes when we don't understand our identity in Jesus Christ. God can make you who you really are. But only by subtraction and addition. The addition is you take His ways to be your ways, His thoughts to be your thoughts, that you become and have the mind of Christ. The heart of God, He adds that to you. Like the tin man. It's His math. He figures it out. It's His problem to figure you out and to solve it. And you can't do it. It's His math to do. You can't do the changes because you can't see them. And so God simply says, are you willing to trust Me to weave in and out of your lives the things that you need to make you what I created you to be? The first step is to surrender. Friday night, some of you were there, we had three chords. I want to close with this. Three chord strand there that my wife and I wove together. Our children holding each chord end, one per. There's a, a black one. It represented a life of darkness that comes when you don't do things God's way. Life filled with sin, brokenness, unrest. And that dark chord represents us, each one of us. And the next chord that comes in is uh, the gold chord, or the silver chord of redemption. And the redemption comes in, and God says, I wipe all the darkness away. I'm going to make, though you be as stained as crimson, I can wash it as white as snow. And He washes it with His redemptive Son's life, Jesus Christ. And that silver chord is there for that. And the third chord, the gold one, is for the divine nature of God and His provision and divinity. 
And he begins to wrap those three cords like a braid. He doesn't remove the black cord that we are. We don't lose our identity. We find it in Jesus Christ. And God begins to wrap His divinity around us. And we see that we are divine and holy and royal people that are a part of a bigger kingdom than this world that God's trying to show us is in abundance. It's in blessing. It's in fruition. And the only way that others can get there is if we help them. That we serve them and show them God's way. And in so doing, God raises us up. Then we may serve others and more others. And raises us up some more after we've done that to serve more and more others. And keeps giving us an abundance to be able to do that. As we're faithful in a little, He says He will make us faithful in a lot. There's that spiritual math again. And so, when you understand that the last is the one who puts themselves at the back of the line to serve others, God says, this one's going to be first in my kingdom. Not to eat, but first to be recognized as someone who belongs here. One that was carved and found their place by God's hand. That's how spiritual math works. So if there's any place in your life you haven't surrendered to God, I invite you to do that this morning. If it's your whole life you've never given over to Christ Jesus, you're a lot of unrest now. Spiritually, inside, turmoil after turmoil. But any place in your life that is not walking in obedience to God will have unrest. You can't be at peace with God and walk in disobedience. He just won't allow it. That part just should make sense. He can't bless us for disobedience. But the door is open. And the mathematician knows what to add and subtract in your life. If you let them do the math. And you stop trying to figure it out. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we do math with a pencil and an eraser. God does it with permanent ink. Because it makes no mistakes. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're willing to work with us even though we're stubborn sometimes and hard-hearted, much like the Israelites. And some of us stubborn for years and years and years until we finally get it. God, I, um, I confess this morning that I was for years 